hymn we sang last is the perfect segue into our topic this morning. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Galatians. To the book of Galatians. This morning I want to read from verse 6 through verse 9. And before I read from this portion of God's Holy Scripture, let's go to our blessed God. Let's ask for His aid and assistance, His light and blessing as we look into His Word. Let's pray together. Now, blessed Creator of all heaven and earth, the things that we see and the things that we don't see, the blessed great I Am, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the head of the church. We come and ask your blessing upon us, Lord. We come to seek your grace, your blessing. We come, Lord, to seek, Lord, understanding, that you might grant to us knowledge and understanding. Make us a wise people, a discerning people, a people able to live righteously in this evil age. Help us to understand the Word this morning, the precious Gospel. And cause us, O Lord, in our hearts to be turned to You in all of our affections. Let not our faith be simply something of the intellect, but that which encompasses the whole man Lord, bring us in conformity to your most precious and glorious will. And give us hope, not only for this life, but for the next. Help us even this day to see what, what lies ahead, that we might be a hopeful, encouraged people. Lord, with your blessing, we will walk out of here deeply satisfied. We will leave this place knowing that you have met with us and that's the greatest thing we could ever hope for and have. Your presence. Lord, let yourself be our great treasure. Show us today your great value so that we might discern if we have put anything before you. We pray this. In the strong and most powerful name in the world, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. And beloved, I want to begin reading at verse 6 and read down through verse 10. So hear now the word of the living God. The Apostle Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. 
For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I was still, try, if I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Beloved, the topic that the Lord has laid upon my heart for us to consider this morning is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we might consider what the gospel is. That we might evaluate what we understand about the gospel and compare it with Holy Scripture. I think the burden that the Lord has laid upon my heart has come for several reasons, but more than anything else, my desire is to see all of us understand the gospel. It is to make sure that not only we understand it, but that if we are wrong at any point, we would make the appropriate correction and that we would conform to what the Scriptures reveal to us as the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now there are other reasons like I just said. And we must come to understand that the Gospel is something that's always been under attack. It's always been under attack. From the very time in history, human history, from the very time that the Gospel was given, needed, and given, Satan has desired to pervert it, distort it, change it, alter it, in any, in any way make it something other than what it is. And that's the whole history of the Bible points out how the great lengths that Satan has gone to to destroy and distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how God has acted to preserve that gospel. To keep that gospel pure and untainted. Unmolested from the world and false teachers. And even unaltered by ignorant, well-meaning Christians. That the God of glory has preserved for Himself a gospel that from age to age has been preached, believed upon, and defended, and handed down, and will continue to be that way until the very end of the world. And Satan will always, until he is cast into the fiery lake himself, will always be Working to lie about, distort, pervert, pollute, and contaminate, and to alter the genuine, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I struggled mightily on what to say, how to say it, what points to bring out, how many sermons to preach on this, and finally just came to the conclusion or at least relented to the fact that I think this morning I should only be able to touch upon the importance of the gospel. Its importance. That if we can walk away this morning, understand how valuable, necessary, and important the gospel is, I would have achieved what I set out to do. And I think God would be glorified. 
When I talk about the importance of the gospel, brothers and sisters, I'm talking about its significance. Now, I don't want you to check out on me. Because if you think that you understand the gospel, and yet you don't have any need to be reminded, I think there's probably a problem with that. And I think the ultimate problem with that is if, if we are born again believers, if we are true con- converts to Jesus Christ, if we have the Spirit in us, working in us, if we are the sons of God, there should be no message dearer to our ears and our hearts than the gospel. I'm going to talk about what it is in a minute. But the gospel message is a message that no true, genuine Christian ever gets tired of hearing, believing, and clinging to. Never. Never. The importance of the gospel, brothers and sisters... Hopefully, as we discuss it, we will see the, the value of the gospel, the, the, the very weight of the gospel that we might consider when we talk about something being important. We're talking about something that requires our attention. It requires effort. It requires a, a, a valuation that we might consider its real and true value. Maybe it's lessened over the years for you. Maybe it's never been what it ought to be. Or maybe this will just be the sweet reminder of how much God loves you and how much you should love Him. Another word that is a synonym for important is monumental. That the gospel might be monumental to everyone who believes it and has put their trust in Christ. Monumental. We consider this idea of being monumental when we think about the day that we came to this awareness of believing and trusting in Christ. That there was this moment or this time, this season by which we were drawn to and, and, and brought near to Christ. Where over time or at some moment He became the sweetest thing ever to us. And we remember that. That's monumental. That is something that marks our lives. It's something that we can talk about or something we should talk about. I ask you, brothers and sisters, this morning, when's the last time the name of Christ has been on your lips? When's the last time you have talked to anyone about Jesus Christ? When's the last time, other than church, other than the singing of these hymns, that you called Him Lord. Another word that's used to describe important is serious. Serious. Brothers and sisters, the Gospel is a serious matter. It is serious. And it's... Sad 
It is sad to see the gospel in our day being treated so tritely, so flippantly, like a just like a something we buy at Walmart at the cash register, you know, the junk, the stuff we don't really need, but we buy it because it's cheap and it's right there. And you only are able to use it a couple of times before it breaks. Serious. Necessary. Significant. And another word is great. Now all these things hopefully will be proved as we work through this text as I open up the Word of God this morning to you. And as I discuss why this is needed or why what value this holds for us, not simply personally as we might be reminded of this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, but that we would also recognize the assault that's upon the gospel both outside and within the church itself. Throughout at least American history in the early 1900s, the church was assaulted by what was known or what, what came to be known as that social gospel. That social gospel that developed and, and, and was created out of the liberal mindset, that mindset that didn't believe in the supernatural expression of God and the Word of God, and it denied its, the virgin birth of Jesus. It denied His incarnation. And it would say things like this. It would say, well, it's not important that Jesus really became a man. It's just the idea that's important. It doesn't matter that Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. That's not important. It's the it's sort of the 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 under it's the it's it's the it's the experience. It's the idea of it. It's that we give weight to. We don't believe he really rose from the dead. But spiritual resurrection, not a physical one. And they went through. Great strides to rip the supernatural expressions of Scripture out, particularly the Gospels. The focus came not just that God would come and make men and women new in Christ, but that what more important was the bake sales and the the cookie deliveries and the, the soup lines. What's more important is that we give our brother a helping hand. It doesn't really matter that Jesus came from heaven to give the helping hand. It didn't matter. That's why it became the social gospel. And churches wholesale went to the social expression of the gospel, which led men and women to think, well, if I give my neighbor a meal or if I do a good deed, I must be a Christian. That's just not the case. It's impossible to understand. It's impossible to know, really, how many people today are in hell right now because they thought baking cookies and handing out meals and blankets and serving soup 
made them a Christian. Now, I say it was serious a while ago. Now, I remind you it's serious. Now, I remind you it's monumental. I think I did. There's another enemy today that's seeping into the church, and I don't know if they have an official name for it yet, but it's more, and the way I understand it is the inclusive gospel. We're not allowed to exclude people anymore. We're not allowed to tell certain people with preferences that are contrary to Scripture, they can't be Christians because they won't do that very essential thing of submitting oneself to the uh, Lordship of Christ. When Christ says something is wrong, it's wrong. That when Christ says it's an abomination, it's an abomination. This whole world, brothers and sisters, is broken. And I'm not talking about because Trump is president, it's broken. I'm not talking about the UK being all in the upheaval about Brexit because it's broken. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about whether or not the Democrats run the House and Senate. I, I, that's not what I mean by broken. I'm talking about way back there. I'm talking about something that goes way back. Oh, I'm not talking about the Civil War. I'm not talking about slavery. I'm talking about something that goes way back. I'm talking about the American Revolution either. See, I'm talking about Adam and Eve in the garden. I'm talking about man turning his back on God. I'm talking about man shaking his fist and offending God. I'm talking about man being broken because he believes he can choose for himself all that's good and deny what God has said is good. God had already told Adam that he could have eternal life. God had already promised Adam life eternal. All he had to do was not eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's all he had to do. But along the way, through the craftiness and the lies of Satan, through the influence of his wife, he succumbed to the eating of the forbidden fruit. He made a choice. He made a decision that he would choose for himself what is good. That's what I'm talking about, broken. I'm talking about, brothers and sisters, this world is broken because it has offended God and it's broken. And it is never going to be made well and whole and complete until it makes it right with God. God's been offended. God's been sinned against. And we make a lot, man, we make a big deal about offending one another. We make a big deal about people asking our forgiveness. We make a big deal about when somebody hurts my feelings. We don't make a big enough deal about God being offended. And Paul has to deal with that in this letter. 
What did Paul say right there in verse 10? He said, hey, am I now seeking the favor of men? Paul had been accused by these false teachers of of being a man pleaser. And after Paul writes these most powerful words about the gospel, he says, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men through these words that I'm telling you? That is, cursed be him who preaches any other gospel that I have preached to you. And Paul says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. It's interesting. And I don't think I don't I don't think it's a mystery that many of the problems that we face in the church today and what we face among ourselves is coming it stems from the denial that God is both creator and savior. He's creator. He made us. He made everything. He made everything that we can see, touch, feel, and taste, right? He made things that we don't even see. We don't see the angelic host all around us. We don't see the the heavenly angels. We don't see the demonic forces around us. They're invisible to our physical eyes, but we know they exist. Amen? We know they exist. We know they exist because God says they exist. God says they're real. God says He made them. And we ought to believe Him. That many of the problems we have today because we want to deny God as creator of heaven and earth. And it all started when God's people began to play fast and loose with the whole doctrine of God's creation and creator. Again, we thought we could come with some form of education and science and explain this universe when God already told us about the universe. God already told us what happened in the beginning. You were not there. I was not there. No one else was there but the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He told us what happened. And when men want to deny their gender, they want to deny their Sex, and they want to deny their callings as men and women and, and, and anything else in this world. It is, an, in essence, a denial of God who made them and made them to be a certain way. And Satan has come in to pervert all of it so that God would not receive His due glory. Satan can't stand it. Can't stand, Satan cannot stand when God receives glory. Satan cannot stand it when God is receiving praise and worship from His people in spirit and truth. Satan cannot stand it when you, brothers and sisters, walk in holiness. Satan cannot stand it when you have your mind and heart set upon the sound doctrine of the Word of God, a particular understanding of the blessed gospel of Christ. He can't stand it. He cannot stand it. That's why Paul told all of us Christians, pick up the shield of faith so that you might be able to extinguish those fiery darts from Satan. What is this gospel? I've talked a little bit in introducing, I think, a a need to be familiar with it and to to, to 
eyes our minds with it and we might have a solid grasp on it, but that we also might be moved again through its power and beauty. What is the gospel? Well, look at the book itself. I mean, look at Galatians and look right there in verse 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, it is very basic that the gospel is the deliverance of the sinner from two things. Number one, the sinner is delivered from the wrath of God. Salvation is not simply the escape of hell when you die. Salvation is, is communion with God. It's that restoration. It's the offense of God being taken away in Christ. That you might be saved, that you and I might be saved from God's just wrath, His just anger because it must be met. It's a holy wrath. It's a holy justice. And it must be met. It cannot be excused. And it will not be ignored. It must be met. And that's what God does in His Son, Jesus. He sent His Son, Jesus, that He might, what? Be the bearer of the sins of all who would believe and trust in Him. And that God would pour out His justice, His wrath upon His Son, and that Jesus would take it all in. He would leave nothing undone. That's why He said on the cross, it's finished. It's finished. I've paid it all. There's not one ounce of God's wrath left to be drunk. I've drunk it all. That's in a nutshell. That there is a deliverance from the wrath of God and there is, secondly, a deliverance from this evil age. From the zeitgeist, from the vain philosophies, the false ideas, the, the lies, the deceit, the, the, the things that are promoted in this life as necessary and important. I just told you what's important. The gospel is important. Everything else ought to be judged by it. In your life, if you want to examine those things that are important, compare them to the gospel. And then ask yourself, where does it fit in the scale of value and importance and seriousness? Paul says that, that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Like I said, Paul is dealing with how these false teachers had seeped into the church and now they were seeking to captivate and enslave the body of Christ through the, uh, adding to the gospel of Jesus. Making requirements that the gospel doesn't make upon those who would believe in Jesus. For example, I must believe in Jesus plus be baptized to be saved. I must believe in Jesus and then offer these works in order to be saved. That's an addition to the gospel. That's a perversion of the gospel. 
And Paul condemns it. He damns it, in fact. And calls it another gospel. If you were to take and survey all the various monumental theologians, I mean the, the, the important theologians of, of this world, and you were to, to, to write down what they say about the gospel, you wouldn't find a teaspoon of difference in any of them. You wouldn't find a thimble full of difference between all of those who have made a statement about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because it's that clear in Scripture. This is not something that is easily, easily, easily gotten wrong. You got to work at it to get it wrong. In fact, our confession of faith makes a beautiful statement in, in chapter 1. It says that the, those things that pertain to man's salvation are so clearly revealed in the Word of God that both the learned and unlearned can see it. With just the due use of an ordinary reading and studying of Scripture, they can see the Gospel. Isn't that beautiful? We don't believe in... An elite class can only be Christians. And that's kind of the situation here. You know, brothers and sisters, one of the things that false teachers love to do is they love to promote themselves as the elite of the elite. I mean, if you want to be a real Christian, you need to follow me. If you want to be a, a real believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to do what I tell you to do. <laughs> well, let's look at let's look at why the gospel is important. Let's look at a couple of more verses that might explain, I think, open up more of what that gospel is. If you in fact look at chapter two, look at verse sixteen. It says, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. But through faith in Jesus Christ. How's, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is not the law. And the law is not the gospel. Paul here makes a clear distinction in the purpose and function of the law of God versus the gospel of God. Paul says the law clearly doesn't justify man. There's no amount of obedience you can perform to justify yourself. You can't work your way to heaven. That's in essence what Paul is saying. You can't work your way there. You can't bake your way there. You can't give your way there. You can't attend church enough to earn your spot in heaven. It doesn't work that way. But through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, even we even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Paul makes that clear. You understand what Paul is saying. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't work your way to favor in Christ. It's by faith. It's by trusting Him. And all that comes along with that faith. 
Brothers and sisters, one aspect that I want to touch on as we get into the importance of the gospel is this. And I think it comes from well-meaning people. Well-meaning people, for the most part. I don't know the heart of everyone. I don't know their motives. I can only take what they say and the things they they write or things they do and, and judge that accordingly, which I should do and you should do too. Because the Lord Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. That's how Jesus said you're going to know these false teachers. You're going to know them by the fruit, by the things they teach, by the things they write, by the things they say, by the things they defend, by the things they support. By the things they do and the things they don't do. That's how you're going to know them. And this idea, brothers and sisters, and again, it sounds so spiritual. It sounds so good. But I want you to be aware of it. It's not good. And that is this idea that everything is the gospel. And you can see it all in the Christian bookstores. And it's, it's, it's this. It's, in a nutshell, it's, it looks like this. I, I'm going to talk to you today, brother and sister, about being a gospel husband, a gospel housewife, a gospel mother, a gospel truck driver, a gospel secretary, a gospel anything added to it. This idea that the gospel now has become everything has diminished, lessened, and in fact, I would say distorted the distinctions of what the true gospel is. If everything's the gospel, you lose the uniqueness of the gospel. If everything's the gospel, you lose the gospel because it becomes like mayonnaise or peanut butter. You just spread it on everything. And it loses its distinction. And it loses its distinction. It loses its power. Paul tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That is, God is pleased to take the proclamation and the preaching of the gospel to bring sinners to Himself. It's the power of God. It demonstrates the power of God when a message, the good news. That's what the gospel is. Good news. Good news to whom? Sinners. Those who have offended God. Those who stand in that that vein of offense, those that are the objects of God's wrath. Go read John chapter 3 and John writes clearly in that chapter that all who do not believe in the Son of God, the wrath of God abides on them now. It's good news. It's good news, brothers and sisters, to the one who understands, who has their eyes open, that they, have bec- that they are offenders of God, that they've offended Him. And that they continue to offend Him by not believing in Him, by not trusting in Him, by not walking with Him, by not submitting to Him. And they keep offending Him by rejecting Him. Right, brothers and sisters, I'll show you another passage. Look over here at Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to show you another. When I talk about the importance and the seriousness of this gospel, let me point this verse 6 out to you for a second. 
Paul says, I am amazed, I marvel, that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Did you catch that? You see how serious it is? If you don't have the right gospel, you don't have the right Jesus. And guess what you can do? You can turn your back on Jesus by turning your back on the gospel. You can distort and pervert the character and nature of Christ by distorting uh, uh, the, the nature of the gospel. You see how Paul makes them twain? You see how Paul ties them together? Together so that what we would see, what we would understand, what Paul says, listen, do you not see that as you turn your back on the gospel? Why? Because this is the means by which you come to know God. Look with me over here. Uh, Let me find it in the book of Galatians. Oh, look at chapter 4, verse 9. I'm going to read 8. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature were no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to these weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire Notice, you desire to be enslaved all over again. What does Paul say? That the gospel makes known God. And when we put our faith in Christ, in the gospel, it's it's coming to know Him, but understanding that it is by that gospel that God makes Himself known to us. And when we deny and reject that gospel, we are in essence denying and rejecting Jesus. So is it important? You think it's serious? You see why we have to fight for the gospel? You see why Paul needed to defend the gospel? You see why Paul needed to write this epistle, this this letter to to these Galatian Christians? You see why Paul needed to sit down and write to them? Because he says, listen right there, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by grace, by the grace of Christ, for a different gospel. That Paul goes on to say in verse 7, which is really not another Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, you can't add to the gospel and it be the gospel. And you can't take away the gospel and it be the gospel. You can't do it. And let's look at some of these other reasons that I want to bring to your mind this morning about the importance of the gospel. I I don't think I'm going to make it through all of them, but we'll work at it. Now, the gospel is important not only because of what it is, right? It is the salvation of sinners. It's, It's the way in which 
sinful men become saints. (laughs) It's how guilty people are made clean, right? It's how the offender has peace with the one he offended, right? That's how, that's what it is. But it's the good news, and it's the, it's the power of God unto salvation, and it's the good news only to those who understand their condition. It's not the good news to everybody. In fact, there's a lot of people that see this, this gospel of Jesus Christ as offensive, a stumbling stone. What do you mean I'm a sinner? What do you mean I need saving? I mean, maybe halfway, meet me halfway. I can participate in my salvation, but I'm not an evil sinner. I'm not worthy of this wrath and condemnation that people talk about, this fiery hell and judgment at the end. That goes way too far. I'm not about that. I think that we can work together. That's another gospel. It's another gospel. That's man's attempt to to halfway humiliate himself and not come to this whole humiliation where he says, I'm a sinner and I deserve to be, uh, I deserve to receive the wrath that the Lord Jesus received on my behalf. I deserve that wrath. But by grace, I get mercy. Undeserved mercy. I want, brothers and sisters, to know if your heart swells with thanksgiving when you think about that. That you are the recipients of something and I am the recipient of something I did not earn or deserve, but received. And it's the greatest, greatest blessing in all the world. You know, the world knows this. Why do you think we have all these movements? Why do you think we have all of these men's movements? You know, we're going to make the world better. Now, we are disrespected and we men need to come together and let our voices be heard. And you got the women, they're coming together and saying, well, the men have made a mess of this world. You can't trust these scoundrels. We're going to win those woman power. We're going to make the world better. And then you've got, you know, you've got all these societies and all these people that come together. Well, our sexual orientation brings us together. And well, we're going to make the world better because, you know, that, that what we want is what we want and the world's broken the world's broken and they're looking for peace and joy and love in all the wrong places and that's why they hate the gospel because the gospel is a reminder that they don't deserve goodness The gospel is a reminder that nobody cares what they think. They made a mess of it. It's their fault. It's not God's fault the world's in a mess. It's our fault the world's in a mess. It's it's man's fault the world is in a mess it's in. It's man that's doing all this evil in the world. You can't blame God and you sure can't blame the devil. And nobody wants to look in the mirror. Nobody wants to look in the mirror. They all want to champion their causes. They all want to champion their rights. And nobody wants to submit to the Lord of glory. The one who made everything. He, listen, brothers and sisters. If I make it, I own it. Yeah. If I make it, I own it unless I sell it to you or give it to you. Or unless I just cast it off. If I make it, it's mine. If you make it, it's yours. God made it, it's his. 
There's no other way around it. His name's on it. And men don't like it. Women don't like it. Families don't like it. Kings don't like it. They don't want to submit. They don't want to bow down. They don't want to, they don't want to give away their sin. They don't want to give up their sins. They don't want to give up their desires. They want to give up their clubs. They don't want to give up all these things. And that's exactly what Paul says, that we have been delivered in Christ from this evil age. It's important, brothers and sisters, because the gospel is the good news, but it's the good news to those who have their eyes opened and their hearts changed. It's the good news to those who have had their ears tuned to hear the sweet invitation of the Lord Jesus say, I am the true shepherd and you are my sheep and my sheep hear my voice and they come. That's what we're talking about. That's what Paul says right here. Notice what he says in verse in uh, verse 6, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. How did this call go out? To the preaching of the gospel. The heralding of the good news. I've got good news. I've got good news. The good news is God has provided a way for you to be made well and whole and complete and right with Him. And He provided it in His Son. And you don't have to buy it. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is believe and trust in Him. That He has bore the wrath of God on your behalf. Put your faith and salvation in Him, brothers and sisters, and be be the children of God. That's it. That's why Isaiah said, come and buy without a price. Come and buy milk and honey without money. You don't need it. I didn't say it was cheap. And I didn't say it was free. I just said it won't cost you anything. But it did cost God his son. And it cost the son his life. So that we could be saved. Don't you believe in cheap grace? Don't you believe in this idea? You know what it is, brothers and sisters? We don't like free. We really don't. We do and we don't. I mean, we take things that are free and we just use it and toss it off. We don't care if we lose it. We don't care if we never use it again. We don't care if we ever use it. We just get it because it's free. That's not Jesus. That's not salvation. That's not eternal life. See, brothers and sisters, what I'm trying to get you to understand, the reason the gospel is important, that it's not necessarily about you. We want it to be about us. But it's not about you. It's about God. God's the offender. It is God who planned and determined to save those who have offended Him. Man didn't do anything. You know what man did? And when he sinned against God, he ran and hid himself. And it was God who called out his name. It was God who went looking for him. It was God who slayed the rams and clothed their naked bodies. It was God who gave the promise in Genesis 3 that he was going to send forth the seed of the woman and he would crush the head of the snake. God did that. God made that promise. Salvation, the gospel, is important, brothers and sisters. It's the good news, not because it is about man, where it originates with man. It's about God, and it originates with God, and it comes from God. And it's God who uses His power and authority to raise up ministers to go proclaim that good news under His official 
under his official command. Go ye therefore to all the nations, teaching them to uh, observe all that I have commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. The gospel is important, beloved, because of not only what it is and not only because of of it being the good news, but it's important because of what it does. What does it do? Well, I've already mentioned so many of them. It delivers us from the wrath of God's justice. It delivers us, Galatians 1-4, from this present evil age. How does it do that? Because when God comes into the life of a sinner by the gospel, that person becomes a new creation in Christ. That person becomes a son of God or a daughter of God. And now that person becomes begins to be tutored and instructed by the Holy Spirit according to the written Word of God. And he learns, how to, uh, he learns how to evaluate this world he lives in. I don't need that. I need to stay away from this. I need to walk this path. I need to get rid of these friends. I need to do these things in order to glorify my Savior. Who's the most precious to you? Well, I can tell you right now, brothers and sisters, your church life, your, your holy life, anything you have, all needs to be evaluated where, where Christ is. Where is He? See, we're talking about the importance, the seriousness of it. We're talking about the monumental nature of it, aren't we? And listen, if He's none of those things, guess what? These other things are just meh. 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 Don't mean anything. One flows from the other. One points to the other, but they're connected. He delivers us from the the burden of the law. Look at Galatians 5. He says in verse 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, standing firm, do not subject your uh, do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, this ceremonial uh, law, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that it, he is under no obligation to keep the, that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Well, you have been severed from Christ, and you are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. That's passed away. But faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Brothers and sisters, we don't have to keep those ceremonial laws anymore. And that's what was going on. That you have Acts 15, right? You have Acts 15. There were these Judaizers, these, these men that said, well, no, these Gentiles can be Christians and they're going to have to believe in Christ. Okay, believe in Christ. But they're also going to have to be circumcised. They're also going to have to go through some ceremonial procedures here, protocol, and then they can be members of the church. And Paul says, anathema. God forbid. The gospel has set you free. 
from those ceremonies. You might even say, brothers and sisters, not only does, are we delivered from this present evil age, but we are delivered from ourselves. From those desires that we have that are contrary to His character and nature. Look down in chapter 5. I'm just spending some time here. I mean, there, there are so many ways I could go here. But notice what He says when He talks about, in verse 13, He says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. That means there's more. Which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The gospel delivers us from ourselves. Those desires that we love, oh, we love, we love certain sins. That doesn't mean we're just as bad as we could be. No. It doesn't make you a serial killer. You might be one on your heart. You hate everybody that disagrees with you. You hate anybody that has any problem with you. I mean, you're bitter, you hate, you, you, you gossip, you backbite. Yeah, you might be a murderer. And you might stand before God as a spiritual serial killer. And the gospel says, love your enemies. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You think about the fruits of the Spirit. Love. Why? Because I used to be a hater. Joy, because I used to be bitter. Peace, oh, I used to be anxious. <laughs> Patience, I used to be hasty. <laughs> Kindness, oh, I used to be mean. Goodness, I used to not care. Faithfulness, oh, untrustworthy. Gentleness, harsh. Self-controlled, undisciplined. Against such things there is no law. Oh, brothers and sisters, the gospel is important because it delivers you from those things that you love the most that are not in Christ. I'm going to stop there. I, I, I want to go more. I want to go longer. I'm really getting wound up, and I've hardly touched my notes. For whatever reason, brothers and sisters, the Lord laid this burden upon me. I want you to know what the gospel is. It is the good news. 
It's the only way a sinner can be made right with a holy God. It's the only way an offender can come to the offended and not be destroyed. It's the only way that one can have peace is to make it right with God. Is to come and bear your sin. Brothers and sisters, when you come to God, you come with a heart full, a mouth full, and a handful of sin. And you give it to Christ. And then you acknowledge that it's the power of God and the salvation that you are now a child of God by faith, not by works. And that you will, by God's grace, by the power of the Spirit, learn to put the deeds, the deeds of the flesh to death. You know, the gospel, it's a dead place. You go to die to self in the gospel. You go to die to this world. You go to die to all the things the world loves and enjoys and acknowledges and applaud all those things. Oh, the gospel, brothers and sisters, is this place where we go to die and humble ourselves and be built up by God. Oh, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. You come and die before the throne of grace, before the cross, and the hand of Christ will pick you up and give you a robe of righteousness that belongs to Christ. And he will give you a new name. And he will sit you in his heavenly family. And he'll give you hope for today and tomorrow. He'll give you the peace that surpasses understanding. He'll give you a thankful heart that people will be astounded at. And that's why the Apostle Paul could say, I marvel. I don't understand. I stand in awe of why you would forsake that. To go to work out your salvation in works and not grace. I'm astounded that you are so easily turning from Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I'll spend the next couple of weeks opening this up further. Let's pray.